what is the appropriate Indigenous territorial acknowledgement to do now digitally that could transfer to six months from now back to a, to a live setting? I, you did an amazing piece in front of the Sydney Breakfast Club. I should have taped it. I, it was so hard. I just thought it was amazing. And, uh, and so, but, but there's some folks who don't actually know your relationship to First Nations, believe it or not. Hmm. I mean, they might be aware there's, but, but what is your, what's your link so that everyone listening, there'll be, yeah. uh, there'll, there'll be an understanding of, 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 of your positioning in all of this. So I it's quite chill hey let's see I'm not it's jail it's a it's a hun up to nitsene just lay us in with athlop eight lungs so what I just said was my connection to the territory wow my name is Sahana mm-hmm. I said you good day friends relatives my name is Sahana so that's a traditional Coast Salish name from the Strait Salish territory here in the kind of the Central Salish Sea let's call it uh, the Kosaitnich mm-hmm. people is uh, where my father's from a mixed heritage guy. My father is a straight Salish man, and my mom is a German, British, European ancestry. Okay. Uh, and I grew up on, and I'm a member of Chotlip, so Sartlip. And uh, the Hussainich people are marine people. We, uh, we spent most of our time on the water, and uh, we had village sites here on the Saanich Peninsula and throughout the, uh, the Southern Gulf Islands. The, the four village sites that exist today are Chotlip, uh, so Sartlip, Seout, Seout, uh, Bokjin, which is Bokwichin, and Hsekum, which is Sekum. For uh, three on the west side of the Saanich Peninsula, one on the east side, there were many, many other village sites. Uh, the east side three. being the, the, the highway side? Uh, the, yeah. And that's the Malhat Nation? Which no. no, well, Malahat is Malahat. Um, Malahat has relations to both the Hussainich uh, and as well to the Cowichan, which is to the north. Okay, okay. No. Was... So the, the west side of the peninsula is is the Sandwich Inlet side, and the east side of the peninsula is the uh, Harrow Strait. So where where Hussayot is. Say. Okay, okay. Thank you. And. Um, and so uh, the the Hussainich people also had village sites all through the Southern Gulf Islands and the San Juan Islands. My grandfather's an American. He came, he was born and raised in Mitchell Bay on San Juan Island. Hmm. His family, the Olsons, are split between Saanich on this side uh, of the border and on the other side of the border, Tlami or Lummi, which is in Port Angeles, mm-hmm. just outside Port Angeles. So we basically took up that the whole, if you, if you kind of draw diagonal lines or if you draw straight lines from straight line East from Cadborough Bay, basically across to the American side and from uh, the tip of the, of the Saanich Peninsula straight across, you basically have the territory that we inhabited and we, we fished in among the sailors in among the Southern Gulf islands and, and on point point Roberts or Roberts bank. Hmm. Um, we had lots of fishing locations the south arm of the Fraser River, we also had lots of fishing locations. So, but these are families. And I think it's important to acknowledge that the village sites that you see are basically where families, and when you think of families, don't think of like the five members of your nuclear family, think of your extended family. So your, you, your parents, your partner, all of your kids, all of your, all of your siblings, kids, maybe, um, 
maybe aunts and uncles and their kids. You're you're talking about your large family, the yeah. Terisic or the Olson family. Yeah. So that those families would have settled in the same location. They would have gone. They would have had the same fishing locations, and they would have basically, in an annual cycle, would have moved back and forth from the from the winter village sites in the sheltered bays on the Saanich Peninsula to the fishing locations in and among the sail in and amongst the Salish Sea, wherever wherever they were. Yes. Well in one generation, my, my father's an immigrant from uh, from Eastern Europe. Yeah. From two in the late fifties to now thirty. So that's one right. generation. I mean obviously there's four generations within that thirty. Yeah. Uh, I can cool. see that a family over a hundred years, maybe more. <laughs> Well, oh, yeah, it's big. <laughs> yeah, it's big. And and the and the governance of that and the the governance and the relationships that that governed the area would have required uh, families to come together. There was definitely hierarchical rankings of families. Some families had better fishing locations and and hmm. resource gathering locations than others. Uh, certainly, there would have been desire to marry into certain families and to connect. Uh, Politically, Economically, politically, mm. socially mm. with certain families and, and less desire for some others. I think it's important to always recognize that Huilnoch means human being in Senchothan. And in the end, the behaviors of human beings, whether you are in Eastern Europe or in North America, are very similar. We all live in some kind of house. We all have some yeah. kind of politics and we all... Yeah. And and when you when you actually even take a look at the protocol that goes on in the legislature and the protocol that goes on in the longhouse, you'd be shocked to learn how similar they are just in terms of structuring a society and creating order and making sure that right. there is safe and secure, safety and security for those members of your family. Yeah, very similar to what goes on in the legislature. We speak through a speaker. We don't speak directly to each other. We have different hats and different robes and different blankets and different things right. that, 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 you know, note who you're talking to and when you're talking to them and how you should be talking to them. And, yeah. you know, those are all just basic. That's things. really neat analogy right on. So, yeah, I think, I think, you know, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the territorial acknowledgement and um, I'm, I get, and, and I've spoken in the legislature, I've written in my blog, you might want to you oh. might want to link to it at some point. You can of course it in my blog. Yeah, but um, you know, I've I've talked about the territorial acknowledgments, and since the NDP came in in 2017, they made it part of their protocol was to do a, a territorial land acknowledgement. Yeah, and every meeting starts with, you know, before we get going here, I'd just like to acknowledge that we're on the territory of such and such today, and like to thank them for. It's, you know, it's something along those lines. Yeah. First of all, I mean, I, I think that it's important to note that never do we ask if it's okay to do the work. It's always just assumed. And so, I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a classic colonial act that you're making the assumption that it's okay to do the work on the territory and acknowledging it, you're absolving yourself of any requirement to actually ask for ask permission because you might not want the answer which is <laughs> right. actually, we'd prefer you didn't yeah right um <laughs> that's neat never thought of it that I, way right but i think First. you know the the notion that we're acknowledging the territory started as an act of reconciliation because before we there was never any acknowledgement of the indigenous territory and there's lots of language used around the traditional territory of 
And I've pushed back on that, on that particular language, specifically the traditional territory, because I said, okay, well, if it's traditional, then, then we would assume that it's been ceded because it's the, it's the formerly the territory of, but if it's unseated, then I, then I would say, you, it, so I, I've really pushed back on this notion that, that anybody would ever say the words unseated traditional territory, because if it's unseated, then it's not traditional. It's the current territory of the Hussainish people. Okay, so at the risk of opening um, a historical conversation, and for oh. ignorant people like me, explain to me what ceded means. Well, it means that there's been an agreement that the land's been transferred from one authority, one sovereign to another sovereign. Yes, and and, and that for would... most of British Columbia, that's not the case. Right. That that's I see. So. So no there were there are these uh, lawsuits. There's negotiations. They've been going on for quite a while, and they just go on. They they. That's right. But there are some instances where the negotiations with regards to the land ownership is that correct have been completed, and that then becomes ceded land. That's right. So uh -huh. the royal proclamation said uh -huh. the royal proclamations go back to the 1700s, and this drives some people nuts. Say, why are we going back to the 1700s? Well, if you look at every single bit of law that we have goes back to that exact time. It's the basis so of common law. You can't just pick <laughs> and choose which ones you're comfortable with. Right. Right? And this is one of the primary arguments that indigenous people have made is that if it benefits, if it benefits the government, then they pick the laws that, you know, that they want to stand by. And if it doesn't benefit the government, then those are laws that we should, you know, be setting aside, yeah. but there's just laws. And the reality is, is that the Royal proclamation made it very clear that these lands were not uninhabited, they were not barren, that, the, that there was a responsibility on behalf of the crown to make agreements and to make treaties and to purchase the land because mm -hmm. that it was, in, it was in the, the indigenous people that were here, um, it was their territory. Yeah. And, um, and it, you take a look at what happened here in the greater Victoria area back in the 1850s, James Douglas, who was the first governor of the colony of Vancouver Island in British Columbia, began to do formal treaties. They're called the, the Douglas treaties. Now they ceded some land in those. They weren't purchase agreements. They were from the context of the, from the indigenous people that we saw them as lease agreements, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, there was some money transferred and there was some commitments made. And it's like any other contract, you know, it's like any other contract. And I think that this is the thing that, that we as a modern society have to wrap our heads around. We either stand by the contracts we sign or we don't. It was part of the real challenge that I had with this most recent election called you either are good for your word or you're not good for your word <laughs> and, and how you, and how you act will determine how I respond to you in the future. If you demonstrate a willingness to, you know, cut up a contract, scrap it, throw it in the, in the trash heap and move forward like it didn't exist. I'm going to make mental note of that. You know? mm -hmm. right. I'm not going to forget that very easily, <laughs> you know, because, because our, our society works based on people keeping their words, based on good faith, based on good communication and, and good contract and, and, and good con and good communication. So I think, um, I think when you look at these territorial acknowledgements, what they are is they are some of the initial acts of reconciliation. It was the first real act of reconciliation, which was, in, in, my, in my view, it was to acknowledge that the, that the territory and the lands that we're on is not as sorted out as we assumed they were at one point. 
that there is a lot of question and a lot of cloudiness about exactly what we're doing here in North America and how we're doing it. And, and that, and I think that that was a really important first act was to have people standing up. And even if you had to do it from a scripted perspective, delivering those scripts, because it sent a message to indigenous people that there was, that there was a, a different approach than the ones of the past. Yeah. Yeah. It only lasts so long though. You can't, you know, like you, you only can get credit for those acts for so long before you have to start to demonstrate that you're growing from it and that you're evolving from right. it. Right. There's other, I'll call more mature acts, more understanding of what reconciliation is that moves beyond to some degree for, for somebody like me, a white Caucasian man, it, it, there's a language to reconciliation. It's not a language of, hi, how are you doing? But there's a, a language of protocols and that evolves. It, it becomes more complex. I think that's where we're at with this. It's not just reading it. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm, I, I've been, as I've been multitasking here a little bit, as I've been talking, I've been Googling um, okay. an article that was written by uh, an Anishinaabe man by the name of Hayden King. And he's a, he's, I think a professor at Ryerson. And he's quite the guy. I've met him a couple of times and had some conversations and he's been on CBC talking about this very thing. And he, no Ryerson University okay. write their uh, write their land acknowledgement. So he says this in the, in the article, yeah. uh, in the Globe Mail article. He says this, I started to see how the territorial acknowledgement could become very superficial and how it, it sort of fetishes, fetishizes the actual tangible concrete treaties. I've worked with provincial and territorial uh, premiers, vice regal representatives and ministers in nearly all portfolios, including for Indigenous relations. From that vantage point, I do see a problem when speakers resort to reading formulaic language, rushed through in one breath, leaving an impression that they have no actual personal connection to the words they are saying. Mm -hmm. A land acknowledgement should challenge the speaker and the audience to think about how our prosperity in Canada was built using space that was already occupied when Europeans began arriving. Canada created institutions and a multicultural fabric in places where societies, traditions, and cultures already existed. What is also being acknowledged is that Indigenous people are striving today to share the land's prosperity and raise new generations that will coexist with non-Indigenous communities. So I think, I think it's really important to, to recognize, and this is what I did when I stood in the legislature and challenged the formula that the BCNDP have been using for the last three and a half years. And I hope that they actually learn from this and I hope that they actually do something different than what they've been doing and, and actually challenge their chairs of their committees and of, and of their commissions and to challenge themselves as ministers when they stand up to make an announcement or they're at an event cutting a ribbon that they actually challenge themselves and and I'll, and I'll be and I'll be pretty sharp here the longer they continue to use their formula the less believable their commitment to reconciliation is yeah so there it is that's the challenge to the BCNDP and to any government in the future in this province well you well, actually demonstrate that you mean it then mean it and that means have it come from and this was this was what I said at the Sydney Breakfast Club have it come from your heart yeah, it, it's, and, and not and not have a formula, but just say what's on your mind for the day. It's a um, challenge to to all people in a position of 
wanting or needing to do a territorial acknowledgement to everyone, not just politicians. It, it could be sure. uh, certainly at our industry networking meeting. It should be at the front of every chamber meeting. It should be at the beginning of every council meeting. You know, like it should be always and everywhere. I said, uh, so it, so it could be, I'm going to change the language from should to could. Okay. Um, and the reason why I'm going to do that is because I think that it needs, it needs to be meaningful for it to mean something. And if, and if I'm enforcing it upon you, so if I've done what the NDP, what I think the government did with the, with everybody and said that this is a requirement at the beginning of every meeting, yeah. then that's when you get formulas. That's when you get just basically words that, you know, can be, that anybody can read. My daughter can read those words. Mm-hmm. Having them mean something on the other hand is where the value is and where we demonstrate to indigenous people that we actually recognize and acknowledge it. So I, in fact, the advice that I gave at the Sydney breakfast club was if it's not in your heart to do it, then please don't mm-hmm. please just get on with the meeting. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm actually trying to enforce something upon you and you don't actually mean it, then it's not meaningful and you're not making any steps of reconciliation. You're simply just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have anything to do with that. What I want is to identify the people who I'm ready and who are ready to work with me on making sure that reconciliation is alive and well in this country and that we're advancing this in a meaningful way. And I can identify those people because we've already separated the wheat from the chaff. We've already said, you don't have to, if you don't want to, you don't have to, if you don't feel comfortable, I won't pass judgment. I'll just simply move on. The process by which, by which one moves from should to could is, is interesting from a from a implementation point of view in that we've seen government policy through through the years with other with all cultures let's just take for example the french speaking people of canada that there was government policy that required you know a french a person from quebec or to be on any kind of board or or anything okay there's a word for that that's that i'm missing and then that, that was a should, right? The hope and the goal is that through the should, we move into the could. Because eventually somebody who might have been just should goes, why am I saying this? You know, why am I doing this? You're right. <laughs> now, now that, that's on the expectation that human beings treat each other nicely and, and properly. That doesn't always happen. In fact, regularly doesn't happen. Uh, if the dialogue from should to could is amongst the people that they're trying to enact reconciliation. All of a sudden, if I'm talking with another person from the chamber or sort of a non-Indigenous person, there is progress, regardless of what is being said, that I'm thinking and talking about this as to why am I doing it with somebody else? Because we actually had this conversation about a year ago at the chamber uh, chamber table. There was a lot of... Um, there was a lot of pushback, a lot of reluctance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was shocking to me. Yeah, no, I, so, so I think. But that was a year ago. I, th- I think, I think it's, I think we're moving into different, a different place. I hope we are. Well, you raise a really, you raise a really important point about how you change culture. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think that it is, that it does at some point start with someone saying, 
someone in the premier's office or someone in the BC NDP said, we're going to be different than the party before us. We're going to be different than the government before us because we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's great for maybe a month and a half or two months. Right. But you know, n- now what are we moving this to? Three and a half years later to have the exact same thing going on starts to be what Hayden King was talking about with respect to this formulaic and, and, and you start to get into it. So let's challenge ourselves. And this is what I did when I stood in the legislature and did my two minute statement on this is let's just challenge ourselves. We are leaders in this province. There's 87 of us. Let's challenge ourselves to be better than just reading a formula. And, um, and so it does maybe start with the person who is reluctant the first time being required to do it because a chamber is saying, we're just going to acknowledge the territory that we're on. And, and someone is reluctant and they're doing it and they realize, oh, that wasn't that hard. But I think that it's important that, as well that people know why it is that we're doing. And this totally. is where, where I think public education and understanding of the history of this country is, is really important. You know, I, I, I've dealt with some protests, you know, around, around um, blockades in, in, in my riding and across the country during my first three and a half years as, as a, as a legislator in the BC legislature. And it, it comes down to, for me, a, a real shocking lack of understanding that we have for our own history and how we got to where we are. A lot of the conversations that I've had around this, I had a, during the last election, I had a conversation with someone say to me, well, where do you stand on the, on people's, you know, uh, blockading the highway or blockading a, a certain piece of infrastructure or whatever. And, uh, and I said to them, well, look, like what they blockade and what they do, the police have to make the determination. But if what you're looking for me is to denounce the charter of rights and freedoms and how we got that document and how we as Canadians required that document in order to be able to remain a free and a free society, able to express disagreement with the government and being able to stand up and, and create some discomfort around that, then you're not going to find that with me. There is specific situations where I think a certain protest might be able to advance uh, the issue further by not doing something. That's my own personal opinion of that. It may or may not be the case. But if you take a look at all of the freedoms that we have in this country, it started with we're going to require a certain level of commitment from Canadians to agree with it. And I, so, so I think that to your point, it starts with someone saying we're going to do this. But then I think if you choose to engage in it, then let's just speak from the heart. Talk about how be- I, I've said this a couple of times. Talk about how beautiful this place is. Talk about how it moves you to go up to that sacred mountain, uh, that uh, Mount Newton, and stand there and recognize that that place is a sacred place and it's been there forever. Talk mm. about that feeling you get when you walk amongst those giant trees that are up there or along the beaches. Mm. So, you know, I think that at some point, this is also a recognition that there was a different connection between the Hussainich people and their territory. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're a better society when we create those connections that reflect those ancient relationships that once existed. We've become so disconnected with the territory that we live in. Or even history. You know, I've been involved and implemented and created companies and 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 used digital tools now for 20 years and there's never been a real healthy comprehensive discussion at least from from what i can tell or have read around the implications of all these tools on us but most definitely i don't think anyone would disagree with me if if we could admit 
that these tools have lent themselves to a, a greater disconnection to history because mm. we're, we're not reading books. We're, you know, we're reading something that might take 15 or 20 seconds. And so there's no kind of deep thought around where all this came from. And so for sure, this acknowledgement forces one to go beyond the surface into why this has happened. There's, it, there's been an interesting dynamic around the, the various uh, industry HR folks that, that we're working with on the peninsula who are, you know, trying to find ways to connect with, with the Wasanic people. Is that correct? Wasanic. Wasanic. Okay, thank you. Wasanic. Yeah, hey, there you go. Wasanic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I can under, I can, uh, that flows easily for me because, of course, my name is Yuda Cheech. So I get the cheech, the cheech part yeah, of the, the the hard C is not a hard C. It's a anyway. Anyway, we're getting off track, and so no, we're, no, <laughs> no, no, we're not. This is exactly like these are these are important things. Is that you know the the people that have been in the community a long time demonstrate to the First Nations, to my relatives in here, that that we could call it Wasanic. Yeah, Wasanic. That's what it looks like. But if you stood up and said, I'm honored to be here in the Khusetnich territory, you'd get people and anybody who's listening to this podcast doesn't didn't see my reaction, but you get people turn their heads. They'd be like, Whoa, what's up with your Jurisik? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up with him? <laughs> Yurichich. Yurichich. What's up with that Yurichich guy <laughs> over there? <He's> not... <laughs> I know. That is said, believe me, many, many times over the years. But so each has this individual journey. Now, a one person who's very committed to, to this and who, who likes to remain anonymous, I'll tell you after the podcast, started to go deeply into, into the history of Indigenous peoples on Lower Vancouver Island, in fact, in BC. And it impacted her life so much, understanding all of the pieces and where you've been and what's happened and and, and where, where this is going now at every meeting reinforces the fact that everyone else needs to learn the history, not because we're told to learn. And it would be like, oh, I had to put it so objectively, if one were to, to try to understand a business opportunity, you would research all of the pieces, the variables that form the opportunity to make the decision. That's a human process. If we're, if I'm to understand Adam, I learned things about you today on this podcast, I didn't know. And, and I now have a deeper sense of who you are. So in fact, this person has now created a one hour presentation. I'm trying to encourage her to, to have it shown to others. And, and such a different understanding of culture it's changed her life. Tell, I can tell you agree, or the territorial acknowledgement that Stasia Hartley delivered at the beginning of this, the Spanish Peninsula Chamber of Commerce candidate debate highlighted for me somebody who clearly understands the role of a, of a uh, you might want to clip it and just put it out, you know, just put it as part of this podcast because it highlights somebody who doesn't, who, who doesn't limit themselves to just doing a, a territorial acknowledgement, but also acknowledges the challenges that the relationships, and I, I can't remember it exactly, but I do remember raising my hands up in the video saying, 
Chaitkip, thank you for that. It highlighted for me somebody who was very aware. She is very aware of the complexities of the relationships, the complexities of the situation that we've inherited. Yeah. And that it doesn't, it doesn't just come down to, as I highlighted in that phone call that I had during the election, that you either stand with us or against us. Because us is actually a collection of everybody and all of the agreements and all of the relationships that are there. And that's, you know, perhaps the most complex thing about being in governance. I've oh, put it online. This is it. And it's... Welcome and good morning to our inaugural, uh, inaugural online this, relationship the... building forum between regional industry representatives and First Nations Sorry, communities. Sorry, that, that is mine. That's yours. I, I had to provide that context for the meeting I was in. This is the, this is the acknowledgement that Stasia Hartley Stasia gave. We, we wish to acknowledge the Husaitnich and Lekwungen speaking peoples on whose territory, traditional territories we live, we learn, we play and work and thank them for their care and stewardship of this beautiful land. Right. We have a responsibility to work towards truth and reconciliation and are open to suggestions and dialogues with local First Nations communities to learn how our industry sector and community can better support and facilitate economic and cultural reconciliation. There is an invitation there. A respect. There is an invitation. There is a respect. There is an openness. Yeah. And there's a, and there's a combination of, of traditional yeah. recognition. And then this second paragraph I found fascinating. It, it captured what you and I have been chatting with about for about a year. And exactly right. And, and enabled me to stop. So I, the way I read it was we have a, and then I, okay, no, I said, no, no, hold on. We have a responsibility, you know, that's in it. Mm -hmm. That is a reconciliation, an essence of reconciliation. We have a responsibility. So I'll, but I'll just end with this and I'll, and I'll just say that that then leads to the next evolution of that state by recognizing and realizing the responsibility that we have you're then taking specific actions to then move you along the continuum of reconciliation. So maybe a, a future version of this would say, as a result of us embracing the responsibility that we have to engage with each other and work with each other on and walk with each other on this journey of reconciliation, our business industry has been able to, to, to really have uh, strong relations with, the local Satanich people. Yes. As a okay. result of this commitment to walk this journey together, we've seen the businesses benefit from having a stronger cultural understanding. And we've seen more employment of indigenous, of local indigenous people in our business sector than we've ever seen before. However, this isn't good enough. Yeah. We yet have the responsibility to the next thing. So yeah. this is really like what you're doing is you're really sort of Layering. at the beginning of this establishing your work plan. What are your goals and objectives and how are you continuing to build on it? And this, I think, clearly outlines the, the main issues that I have when I started this with, with how the government has continued to repeat the same thing. Mm -hmm. The need to show growth. Mm -hmm. Just like the, you were talking about the business community today, yeah. just like the business community needs to show their shareholders or their stakeholders growth. Yeah. We need to show growth in this relationship. And this yeah. is what Hayden King was talking about. The stagnation of this is a problem. That's a, such a reflective word, the stagnation. And that's really the battle, isn't it? Okay. Thank you, Adam. Thank you so, so no much. No worries.
You're amazing. It's been helpful. Uh, it's been, hey, you know what the word is? It's been constructive, right? Okay, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, See yeah. you. Good talking to you, brother. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.